So today, I'm going to speak to you uh, about some things that have shaped my life. That's not me surfing. I have surfed uh, much when I was younger, but uh, that's a guy surfing in Tahiti. And uh, the whole theme of this is to learn to cope with things that are precious for us or trials for us. I was saying, I was saying to the, the, the leadership team yesterday that in the last 10 years, when I look back at my life, there have been a couple of key things that have really shaped my life. And 10 years ago in this church, we had a particularly difficult time on our leadership team. And it was a very unhappy time for Helen and I. And then going forward, seven years ago, yesterday, the 19th of September, 2013, our eldest son, Matthew, had a brain tumor removed. And he was in Great Ormond Street. And Facebook reminded me yesterday, uh, there was a picture of him lying in the, in the hospital bed with a bandage around his, his head. And it was exactly seven years ago that we went through that. And so we had had this difficult time in our church, and then we had a very difficult time as a family that we had to process a whole lot of stuff and learn to trust God at a very deep level for our own lives. And uh, during that time, my dear friend Michael Eaton, he, um, he was speaking a lot into our lives, and one day I was speaking to him and he said, you should preach to the book of James. And so I took his advice preached through the book of James for a couple of years, and it really has shaped my life, my theology. Uh, Martin Luther didn't like James very much. He said it was an epistle of straw, didn't quite get the gospel in, in the book of James. But I have to say that for me, I have learned much, much, much about the grace of God and the kindness of God through the book of James. And so I want to share eight lessons that I've learned out of my life and uh, out of that book that I hope will help you as we face this trial together, right? And, and there's a great reward if we face trials well. That's the promise of the Scripture, that if we learn to cope well and we respond in a godly way to whatever comes, there's great reward for us, right? And so these are very simple lessons that I've learned, and I am continuing to learn. I am not, I'm not an expert. I'm still very much a student of the grace of God in my own life, and learning as I go along. But here are eight simple things, and I won't be very long, okay? So there are eight, but don't worry, it's not going to take forever. Here's the first one. First lesson, learn to count it joy. <laughs> Easy to say, isn't it? Learn to count it joy. James says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, that includes all of us, men and women together, when you meet or fall into trials of various kinds. So I've learned this, that everything that we go through, every trial, and this COVID thing is a trial for every one of us, all right? Various levels, different ways, it's a trial for all of us. Count it all joy, says James, when you fall into unexpected trials in your life. Count it all joy. So... The heart of that is every trial we go through can be a, basic, a basis for, for blessing in our lives. Now, I, I want to point this out. It's not the same as some superficial, glib, super spiritual, hallelujah, glory, Lord, I'm so thankful for this trial. That would be weird. That would be actually quite um, masochistic to say that you're somehow enjoying this very difficult experience of your life. No, I don't think James is saying that at all. That would be plain weird to do that. We don't want to do that, right? What he is saying is that there should be a dignity in our lives where we respond to trials with dignity because we are convinced right in the heart of who we are that everything in our lives 
is upheld by the sovereign hand of God. And he gives grace to all who ask. And in that sense, we can dignify whatever we are going through. That's what James means. And there's the other great promise that I love, and it can be a little bit of a, a thing that we just repeat without thinking about, but Romans 8.28 is a good, good verse to memorize. Remember, Romans 8.28 says this, and we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those that are called according to his purpose. All things. Now, I had a discussion with a friend of mine once who said, it can't possibly mean all things. How can you say that even difficult things work together for good in your life? Even bad things that you go through, how can you say that they work together for good in your life? Well, I say that because I know that God's sovereign hand is on my life and that he works everything, good, bad, indifferent, as I respond with the grace of God in my life, he works all of those things together that ultimately over the period of my life, when I look back, I can see God's goodness, his kindness, his grace, his sovereign hand upholding me in every way. That's what it means. All things work together for good. And so I want to start by saying, my friends, it doesn't help to shake your fist at God and shake your fist at the government and say, I'm so angry, God, with how you're responding. I'm so angry with everybody else when you're going through a trial. In that moment, you have already lost what God can do in, in your life. How we respond and anticipate what God wants to do is so important. He has given us all sufficient grace. So, do you notice that James says we're all going to fall into trials? Do you notice that word, fall into? The Greek there is peripipto, which means that you fall into something that you weren't expecting. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, um, verse 30, where he says there was a man from Jerusalem who fell amongst thieves. It's the same word, peripepto. He was just going down the road, living his life. He wasn't expecting anything unusual to happen, and suddenly he was attacked by thieves. It's the same thing that we're going through right now. All of us walking through our lives, anticipating a great year, 2020, and suddenly we fall into this thing called COVID. None of us were expecting it. None of us anticipated it. It just, we fell into it. That's what he's saying. When you learn to respond well, when you fall into unexpected things, and you begin to depend on the grace of God at a deep level in your life, there's a great blessing for you. That's what James is saying. So we've all peripiptoed, haven't we? We've all fallen into this thing that we weren't expecting, and uh, that's why it's so important how we respond. I also want to say this. We don't go looking for trials, right? <laughs> we don't go looking for things like this. That would also be weird. And didn't Jesus, uh, when he taught us to pray, he said, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation can also be translated trial. So Jesus made it quite plain, clear. We're not, we, don't go looking off, we don't go looking forward and trying to fall into trials purposefully. We do all that we can to avoid them. But when they come we must learn to respond in a kind and gracious way that's motivated by the grace of God in our lives. So, this is what I'm trying to say. 
When we fall into something unexpected, whatever it is, perhaps you, you, you lose your job, perhaps you, there's a relationship that you're trying to reconcile that just doesn't seem to want to be reconciled. Well, we, how we respond is this, in this way. We dignify the trial by enduring it gracefully, by refusing to sin, by getting angry or murmuring or frustrated, and we determine in our hearts to find the blessing that God has for us. Is that easy? No. But it's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to depend on the grace of God. Do you notice also that James says these trials are various, various trials. Uh, the Greek, uh, uh, again there, talks about um, things of various shades. In other, in other words, different colors, diverse trials. So in other words, we're going to all experience during the course of our lives Trials of different kinds that come when we least expect them to come. And uh, I love what R.T. Kendall says. Um, he says this, the fact that you are under attack is a compliment to you. And what he's trying to say is that if the devil tries to get you in one area and he can't defeat you there, he'll try from another angle to defeat you. So there are going to be trials that come at different angles in your life from things that you don't expect, sometimes people that you don't expect, and you have to learn, you and I have to learn how to respond graciously to those things. And I found this, that every th trial, particularly in the last 10 years, the, those things that we've walked through as a family, the devil will come, sit on my shoulder, and whisper and say, Ant, you don't have the grace to, to handle this. You don't have the strength to do this. That's what the devil will come and whisper in my ear. And at the same time, I hear the voice of my father saying, my son, I'm with you. You can do this. The point is, whose voice are we going to listen to? And that's why James says, count it all joy. And I, I said this to the leadership team yesterday, and I want to say it this morning. I'm convinced that the highest goal of your life and the highest goal of my life as we live as sons and daughters of Jesus, and as if you are involved in ministry, the highest goal of ministry is simply this, to grow in the grace of God. That's the highest goal that God has for your life. It's the highest goal that God has for my life. The question is, are we growing in the grace of, of God? What does that mean? It means in trials that come, are we responding with increasing dignity, with increasing faith, with, with increasing joy. That's the way to store up treasure in heaven. That's what Jesus says we should do, to store up for yourself treasure in heaven. That's how we do it. That's how we, we store up treasure as we respond with God's goodness and kindness to difficult things in our lives. I'm uh, going to be 64 in about eight years' time. And normally around 65... You start to think about um, retirement, don't you? You start to think about retirement. Well, here's a good investment. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. There's a good dividend. There's a good investment in the future if we learn to do this now. Amen. Okay, I said the eight points, all right? This, this is the longest one, all right? So don't worry. And so responding with joy, with dignity, with grace is a good investment and a good dividend as we get older. It's going to pay out well for us. Secondly, 
Second thing that I've learned is this. Number two, trials help you establish patience as a habit in your life. Count it all joy, my friends, when you fall into trials of various kinds, says James, knowing this, that the, tri- the testing or the trying of your faith works patience. Various translations say these things in different ways. But one of the central themes of James, if you read the whole book, James comes back to a number of themes throughout the whole book. And uh, in chapter 5, he comes back to this thing of patience. And uh, in in chapter 1, he says this in verse 4, let let patience, or some translations say steadfastness, it's the same word, let patience have its full effect in you that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Nothing. Man, isn't that a powerful statement? You and I can lack in nothing if we will let patience do its full work in us and produce in us the grace of God. That's the promise. And so this is one of the underlying themes that um, he emphasizes, and he comes back in chapter 5, and he says this uh, in, in verse 10. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard about the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James is saying that patience really is a, it's a very practical thing. The Greek there is hapamani, which, which is translated uh, patience, which means to bear up under, to be able to bear the burden. And that's translated as persevere. So in other words, when we persevere, when we don't give up, when we respond in a gracious and kind way to difficult things in our lives, we begin to establish patience as a habit in our lives. Now, I've got some habits in my life that I'm not particularly proud of, that are are responses that have become a a pattern in my life. And I'm trying to undo some of those things, and I'm sure you have some of those too. How cool wouldn't it be, how amazing wouldn't it be that for you and I, an automatic default of our lives is that we are patient? That's a thing to think about, isn't it? Patient with our wives. Patience with our husbands, patience with our children, patience with, the, patient with each other, always giving the benefit of the doubt. This truly is a work of grace in our lives. How much is patience a habit in your life? I'm not accusing you. I've got a long way to go. But James says, if we learn to endure trials well, patience will become a default, will become a habit in our lives that we will respond with. Thirdly, Trials are means of grace. Trials are means of grace. Well, remember, James is, is writing to um, a church that is particularly proud of itself, but particularly backslidden at the same time. Isn't that how we can be sometimes? We can think we're so spiritual, and actually we're really, really far from God and backslidden. And so James is writing into that context, and uh, he's saying that sometimes God allows trials to come into your life to get your attention, and so that you come back. He's calling you back through the trial. C.S. Lewis said, what did he say? He said, pain is God's megaphone in a suffering world, saying, actually, I'm trying to get your attention. Will you hear? Will you listen? So wherever there's pain, it's good for us to ask the question, 
Lord, what do you want to say to me out of this? And can I, am I hearing your voice? And so quite simply, God allows trials in our lives to call, him, uh, call us back to himself so that he can send his word to us and speak to us. And so how we respond really does affect how much we grow. And uh, Hebrews is always a, a book that people find difficult, but Hebrews 12 makes it quite clear that every one of us will experience the discipline of God, particularly if we are a son of God. We will know something of the, 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 the discipline of God as he calls us back to himself. He says, my son, I want you to adjust that. Please don't do that anymore. Let me help you see what I want to change in your life. Trials are means of grace. Scripture also makes it quite plain that we shouldn't be surprised when a fiery ordeal comes upon us. 1 Peter 4 says that. Don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes your way. It also warns us that we're not going to be able to escape tribulations in this world. How we respond to the tribulation is the important thing. Count it all joy. Let it, trials produce a habit of patience in your life. Trials are means of grace. Three. Number four, trials are a wonderful opportunity to grow spiritually. Trials are a wonderful opportunity to grow spiritually. Now, I find, it, I find this true for my life. Sometimes when things are easy, I don't grow very much. Have you noticed that? Sometimes when things are going very well, you kind of get into this routine where it kind of, it kind of just goes along and you kind of get a little bit careless. However, when we go through difficult things, it really does help us grow spiritually. And James says it needs to be like that so we can be perfect. We can, we can lack in nothing. And you see, when we're in trouble, it shakes us, it disturbs our, equi- our complacency, our equilibrium, and, and it uh, says to us, I, I don't need this world so much anymore. Jesus, what I need is you. Someone sent me a song yesterday, which uh, was a really beautiful song, just talking about, Jesus, won't you come back? I've had enough of this world and the pain that I see. I want you. And it resonated with me. Isn't that true? Uh, Paul said, I long to be with Jesus, but for this time, it's better that I'm here with you. But there should be a longing in our hearts to want to be with Jesus. That this earth should grow strangely dim because we want to be with him. Amen. And so troubles help us to see, we sang it this morning, that we need Jesus every day. And through him we discover our weakness. Through trials we see him more clearly and we begin to depend on him completely. And we are compelled to trust him in a way that we never had to before. When we went through that experience with Matt and the years running up to that operation, we had to learn to trust God for the future of our son in a way that we never had to before. And it really helped us to grow in his grace. Number five, trials are brought by the devil, but ultimately they are under God's sovereign hand. That should be great comfort to you. Um, all of us ask this question at some time or other in our lives when we experience difficult things. Where did it come from, God? Is it the devil or is it you? And we find the answer in, in Job, in chapter 1 and 2. Here's the thing. The devil sends trials into your life because he hates you. He wants to rob, kill, and destroy. 
And ultimately, God allows trials because He loves you and He wants you to grow in grace and in strength and dependency on Him. Number six. <laughs> this is one that I've discovered. Trials usually come at the worst possible time and yet at the best possible time. It's like the language of James is they, these things impose themselves on our lives and we fall into them. We, we weren't looking for them. Think of how suddenly uh, uh, things happened in, the, in great examples in the Bible with Job. Job was just minding his own business <laughs> and getting on with his life. And the devil comes and says uh, to, to God, see your servant Job, he doesn't really love you. And God says, okay, I'll test him and we'll see. I mean, Job wasn't looking for that testing, was he? What about Joseph just getting on being this youngest son? Probably a little bit arrogantly, I must confess. But uh, suddenly he's thrown down the well, and a whole thing in his life unfolds from that point. Wasn't looking for it, it happened. It imposed itself upon him. And so, at the worst, at the lowest points of our lives, we can see the devil's hand in this thing that we are struggling with. How unfair it is, how evil it is, how devious, how clever it is to distract us. And yet with every trial, every attack, the same time, we can see the mercy of God and the kindness of God and His hand upholding us and keeping us through this thing. I found this. At the end, I've looked back at some experiences in, in my life and, and I've said this. If it had to happen, at least it happened in that way because in that way I can see God's hand in it. I can see clearly now when I look that God was protecting and moving forward and I can see his hand every step of the way. When you're going forward in the experience, you can't always see it, but when you look back, you can say, thank you, God, that you were with me as I walked through this. Trials happen at the worst possible time and simultaneously at the best possible time for what God wants to do in our lives. Number seven. This is real for all of us, isn't it? Trials tempt you to give in. Trials tempt you to give in. Trials that we are called to walk through are invariably accompanied by this overwhelming feeling and temptation and pressure just to give up and let it lie. And it always seems, I found in my life, in this thing, I feel I'm beyond my capacity to contend with this thing. And so the temptation is just to give up and cave in. And it links back to what I said about spiritual growth. Uh, if we yield to that temptation to throw in the towel, we lose the opportunity to experience God's blessing that we would never enjoy otherwise unless we were having to walk through this thing with our friends and our family or whatever it is. And so that's why James says, count it all joy. You know, James knew all of these things. And he was trying to get his readers not to miss the opportunity of understanding that there was a great opportunity in this difficult thing that God wanted them to learn about and enjoy. And so, as much as I would not ever have wanted to walk through that thing with Matthew, I would not want any of you to go through that with your own children. When I look back on that, I'm grateful for what it did in my life. 
I'm grateful for how it shaped my view of God as a good father. I'm grateful for what it, for what it did in our marriage, that Helen and I came together in a, a way that we wouldn't have done before. Got us to pray and trust for our son in a way that we never would have done before. And now we see a future that God is unlocking for him that is so beautiful. And all of that stuff helped to get us to this point now. And so what I'm trying to say, that James really wants all of us to learn to react in a way that is supernatural to trials, that is supernatural to difficult things, not in the way that everyone else does. If we are all just screaming at the government right now and saying, actually, this is so unfair, why are you making us do all this stuff? My friends, we are reacting just like everybody else is reacting. What is supernatural in that? Nothing. It's natural to react like that. God wants us to learn a gracious response that is supernatural, that bubbles out from the inside and becomes evidence to people that there's a God in heaven that is transforming us from the inside out. That's what he wants. Lastly, trials are never beyond your ability to cope. Isn't that beautiful? God is so kind, so gracious. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. I've cried out to the Lord many times from this portion. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. Isn't that profound? These things we think we're going through, people have gone through them for centuries. Centuries. You know, uh, I've, I've always, I've been, I've been uh, interested in the language of people. You know, this is, people use this word unprecedented so easily, don't they? Unprecedented. This is an unprecedented thing that the world has never gone through before. Actually, that's absolute nonsense. 1918, the Spanish flu killed one-third of the world's population at that time. One-third. 50 million people were wiped out by the Spanish flu. This, what we are going through now, my friends, is not unprecedented. Things like this have happened before. Christians in those times had to walk through these things like we are having to walk through this right now. My point is, my friends, is our response supernatural? Is it generated by the kindness and the goodness of God that we are convinced of? Or is it natural, just like everybody else's? I hope you're glad that you came this morning, all right? I'm trying to encourage you. Lastly, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a trial, he will also provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. That's the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'll finish with this. I love R.T. Kendall's writing. He said this. Can you just put up the last little quote? Uh, yeah, go down there. All trials are filtered through the throne of grace, and come by God's permission. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely beautiful. Every trial, everything that we go through, is filtered through the throne of grace and comes by God's permission in our lives. I hope you're encouraged. I hope that this week you will live with, with conviction and faith and joy 
knowing that God is upholding you. That all of us will learn to respond supernaturally to these things. I'm not perfect in this by a long shot, but I'm growing in these things. God wants us to be a demonstration of his goodness to a world that doesn't know his goodness. And how we react in moments like this is so important because it demonstrates what we really hold to and what we really believe. Amen? Can I pray for you? And then uh, it's exactly 11 o'clock. We're finished on time. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for these dear friends. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the blessing of this church. Thank you for every single family, those that are not here this morning, those that are watching online. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our lives. Thank you that you've upheld us for all of these years that we've been alive. Thank you that you've upheld us as a church community in these last six months. Thank you that you're upholding us right now as a nation. And my prayer, Lord, is that all of us would, would know the truth of that deep on the inside of us. And Lord, that we really would know how to respond with supernatural reactions to these things that are trials for us. And God, I'm not saying that's easy, but I know, Lord, that in your, the Scripture, there's many examples of men and women that have trusted you with their future and with their lives, and you have upheld them, and you've moved them into your plans and your purposes. And so my prayer, Lord, for us as a church, for every family, is as we respond supernaturally, that you would move us into your plans and your purposes, that we truly would be a demonstration of your goodness and kindness to everyone that comes into contact with us. And so I speak your blessing over this church in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone says? Amen. Amen.